Hey everyone, it is I, D.B. Spitzer. Welcome once again to Black Clock Audio Tales, always hosted by BunnySlippers.com and FoundItemClothing.com. Check out the Wooly Bully Highland Cow Slippers. I know they're just called Highland Cow Slippers, but I can't help saying Wooly Bully. Hope you're all doing well. Hope you are all feeling well. Just to let you know, I am going to start just uploading as many of these Oz books as possible, just so people have stuff to listen to. If you have kids and you want them to listen to something that's not going to have a bunch of scary or weird stuff in it, eh, you might want to go elsewhere. No, I'm kidding. Oz, the Oz books generally are pretty children safe. There may be a few spooky parts here and there, but you know what? Everyone gets through it in the end. There's every story has Dorothy with a little animal and some friends, and you know, it's fun stuff. It's it's fun stuff. You know. I've been holding stuff together. I've been baking bread, making pasta, canning stuff, brewing. Um, and then I've been doing stuff that I don't normally do. <laughs> you know, the anxiety and the food stuff. That's I'm always doing that stuff. But lately I have been constructing instruments out of junk. You can check that stuff out on Instagram. I'm currently working on a couple of canjos and a uh, cigar box ukulele. Ukulele, whatever you want to call it. If you are interested in that kind of stuff, or if you want to check out and help the show by, I don't know, going to our Patreon at patreon.pgttcm.com, or however you get to Patreon, I can't remember, uh, you can also go to pgttcm.com, find out how to help our show by buying shirts. We're going to have some Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans shirts coming up pretty soon from uh, shirts for or Oleander, Wash uh, Oregon, and shirts for Uncle Owen's Goat Farm coming up in... Los Futuro. Oh man, my Spanish is terrible. But it shouldn't be because I've been watching DuckTales and Troll Movie and all that other fun stuff in Spanish. Um, Libra Soy, Libra Soy. Yes. I hope you're all doing well. I keep saying I hope you're all doing well because I do hope you're all doing well. I can tell that a lot more people are listening. And thank you all for all of our new listeners. You guys are awesome. You ladies, everyone. Um, and anyone in between, I think you're all great. And, you know, I, I, I hope you're coming up with new recipes. I hope you've all watched Tiger King and all that fun stuff. And, you know, everything else that everyone else is talking about. Me, I'm going through old books, working on stuff outside, trying to stay away from TV and just listening to podcasts. Been listening to a lot of Doughboys and Small Town Dicks. Quite the juxtaposition. <laughs> All right, here we go with L. Frank Baum. Said it right this time. Road to Oz. Chapter 22 Important Arrivals. First entered a band of rills from the Happy Valley, all merry little sprites like fairy elves. A dozen crooked Canucks followed from the great forest of Bernersey. They had long whiskers and pointed caps and curling toes, yet were no taller than Button Bright's shoulder. With this group came a man so easy to recognize and so important and dearly beloved throughout the known world that all present rose to their feet and bowed their heads in respectful homage, even before the High Chamberlain knelt to announce his name. The most mighty and loyal friend of children, His Supreme Highness Santa Claus, said the Chamberlain in an awed voice. 
Well, 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 glad to see you, glad to meet you all, cried Santa Claus briskly as he trotted up the long room. He was round as an apple, with a fresh rosy face, laughing eyes, and a bushy beard as white as snow. A red cloak trimmed with beautiful ermine hung from his shoulders, and upon his back was a basket filled with pretty presents for the Princess Ozma. Hello, Dorothy. Still having adventures? he asked in his jolly way as he took the girl's hand in both his own. How did you know my name, Santa? she replied, feeling more shy in the presence of this immortal saint than she ever had before in her young life. Why don't I see you every Christmas Eve when you're asleep? he rejoined, pinching her blushing cheek. Oh, do you? And here's Button Bright, I declare, cried Santa Claus, holding up the boy to kiss him. What a long way from home you are, dear me. Do you know Button Bright, too? questioned Dorothy eagerly. Indeed I do. I visited his home several Christmas Eves. And do you know his father? asked the girl. <laughs> Certainly, my dear. Who else do you suppose brings him his Christmas neckties and stockings? with a sly wink at the wizard. Then where does he live? We're just crazy to know, cause Button Bright's lost, she said. Santa laughed and laid his finger aside of his nose, as if thinking what to reply. He leaned over and whispered something in the wizard's ear, at which the wizard smiled and nodded as if he understood. Now Santa Claus spied Polychrome and trotted over to where she stood. Seems to me the rainbow's daughter is farther from home than any of you, he observed, looking at the pretty maiden admiringly. I'll have to tell your father where you are, Polly, and send him to get you. Please do, dear Santa Claus, implored the little maid beseechingly. But just now we must all have a jolly good time at Ozma's party, said the old gentleman, turning to put his presents on the table with the others already there. It isn't often I find time to leave my castle, as you know. But Ozma invited me, and I just couldn't help coming to celebrate the happy occasion. I'm so glad, exclaimed Dorothy. These are my rills, pointing to the little sprites squatting around him. Their business is to paint the colors of the flowers when they bud and bloom. But I brought the merry fellows along to see Oz, and they've left their paint pots behind them. Also I brought these crooked Canucks, whom I love. My dears, the Canucks are much nicer than they look, for their duty is to water and care for the young trees of the forest. And they do their work faithfully and well. It's hard work, though, and it makes my Canucks crooked and gnarled, like the trees themselves. But their hearts are big and kind, as are the hearts of all who do good in our beautiful world. I've read of the rills and Canucks, said Dorothy, looking upon these little workers with interest. Santa Claus turned to talk with the Scarecrow and the Tin Woodman, and he also said a kind word to the Shaggy Man, and afterward went away to ride the sawhorse around the Emerald City. For, said he, I must see all the grand sights while I am here and have the chance. And Ozma has promised to let me ride the sawhorse because I'm getting fat and short of breath. Where are your reindeer? asked Polychrome. 
I left them at home, for it is too warm for them in this sunny country, he answered. They're used to winter weather when they travel. In a flash he was gone, and the rills and canucks with him, but they could all hear the golden hoofs of the sawhorse ringing on the marble pavement outside as he pranced away with his noble rider. Presently the band played again, and the high chamberlain announced, Her Gracious Majesty, the Queen of Maryland. They looked earnestly to discover whom this queen might be, and saw advancing up the room an exquisite wax doll dressed in dainty fluffs and ruffles and spangled gown. She was almost as big as Button Bright, and her cheeks and mouth and eyebrow were prettily painted in delicate colors. Her blue eyes stared a bit, being of glass, yet the expression upon Her Majesty's face was quite pleasant and decidedly winning. With the Queen of Maryland were four wooden soldiers, two stalking ahead of her with much dignity, and two following behind, like a royal bodyguard. The soldiers were painted in bright colors and carried wooden guns, and after them came a fat little man who attracted attention at once, although he seemed modest and retiring, for he was made of candy and carried a tin sugar sifter filled with powdered sugar, with which he dusted himself frequently, so that he wouldn't stick to things if he touched them. The High Chamberlain had called him the Candy Man of Maryland, and Dorothy saw that one of his thumbs looked as if it had been bitten off by someone who was fond of candy and couldn't resist the temptation. The wax doll queen spoke prettily to Dorothy and the others, and sent her loving greetings to Ozma before she retired to the rooms prepared for her. She had brought a birthday present wrapped in tissue paper and tied with pink and blue ribbons, and one of the wooden soldiers placed it on the table with the other gifts. But the candy man did not go to his room, because he said he preferred to stay and talk with the scarecrow and Tick-Tock and the wizard and tin woodman, whom he declared the queerest people he had ever seen. Button Bright was glad the candy man stayed in the throne room, because the boy thought this guest smelled deliciously of wintergreen and maple sugar. The braided man now entered the room, having been fortunate enough to receive an invitation to the Princess Ozma's party. He was from a cave halfway between the Invisible Valley and the country of the Gargoyles, and his hair and whiskers were so long that he was obliged to plait them into many braids that hung to his feet, and every braid was tied with a bow of colored ribbon. "'I've brought Princess Ozma a box of flutters for her birthday,' said the braided man earnestly, "'and I hope she will like them, for they are the finest quality I have ever made.' "'I'm sure she will be greatly pleased,' said Dorothy." who remembered the braided man well, and the wizard introduced the guest to the rest of the company, and made him sit down in a chair and keep quiet, for, if allowed, he would talk continually about his flutters. The band then played a welcome to another set of guests, and into the throne room swept the handsome and stately Queen of Ev. Beside her was young King Evardo, 
and following them came the entire royal family of five princesses and four princes of Ev. The kingdom of Ev lay just across the deadly desert to the north of Oz, and once Ozma and her people had rescued the queen of Ev and her ten children from the Nome King, who had enslaved them. Dorothy had been present on this adventure, so she greeted the royal family cordially, and all the visitors were delighted to meet the little Kansas girl again. They knew Tik-Tok and Billina, too, and the Scarecrow and Tin Woodman, as well as the Lion and Tiger, so there was a joyful reunion, as you may imagine, and it was fully an hour before the Queen and her train retired to their rooms. Perhaps they would not have gone then, had not the band begun to play to announce new arrivals, but before they left the great throne room, King Evardo added to Ozma's birthday presents a diadem of diamonds set in radium. The next comer proved to be King Renard of Foxville, or King Dox, as he preferred to be called. He was magnificently dressed in a new feather costume and wore white kid mittens over his paws and a flower in his buttonhole and had his hair parted in the middle. King Dox thanked Dorothy fervently for getting him the invitation to come to Oz, which he all his life had longed to visit. He strutted around rather absurdly as he was introduced to the, all the famous people assembled in the throne room, and when he learned that Dorothy was a princess of Oz, the Fox King insisted on kneeling at her feet and afterward retired backward, a dangerous thing to do, as he might have stubbed his paw and tumbled over. No sooner was he gone than the blasts of bugles and clatter of drums and cymbals announced important visitors, and the High Chamberlain assumed his most dignified tone as he threw open the door and said proudly, Her Supreme and Resplendent Majesty, Queen Zix of Ix, His Serene and Tremendous Majesty, King Bud of Noland, Her Royal Highness, the Princess Fluff. That three such high and mighty royal personages should arrive at once was enough to make Dorothy and her companions grow solemn and assume their best company manners. But when the exquisite beauty of Queen Zix met their eyes, they thought they had never beheld anything so charming. Dorothy decided that Zix must be about sixteen years old, but the wizard whispered to her that this wonderful queen had lived thousands of years, but knew the secret of remaining always fresh and beautiful. King Bud of Noland and his dainty fair-haired sister, the Princess Fluff, were friends of Zix as their kingdoms were adjoining, so they had traveled together from their far-off domains to do honor to Ozma of Oz on the occasion of her birthday. They brought many splendid gifts, so the table was now fairly loaded down with presents. Dorothy and Polly loved the Princess Fluff the moment they saw her, and little King Bud was so frank and boyish that Button Bright accepted him as a chum at once and did not want him to go away. But it was afternoon now, and the royal guests must prepare their toilets for the grand banquet at which they were to assemble that evening to meet the reigning princess of this fairyland. 
So Queen Zix was shown to her room by a troop of maidens led by Jellia Jam, and Bud and Fluff presently withdrew to their own apartments. "'My, what a big party Ozma is going to have!' exclaimed Dorothy. "'I guess the palace will be chock-full, Button-Bright, don't you think so?' "'Don't know,' said the boy. "'But we must go to our rooms pretty soon to dress for the banquet,' continued the girl. "'I don't have to dress,' said the candy man from Maryland. "'All I need to do is dust myself with fresh sugar.' "'Tick-Tock always wears the same suits of clothes,' said the Tin Woodman, "'and so does our friend the Scarecrow.' "'My feathers are good enough for any occasion,' cried Bellina from her corner. "'Then I shall leave you four to welcome any new guests that come,' said Dorothy, "'for Button Bright and I must look our very best at Ozma's banquet.' "'Who is still to come?' asked the Scarecrow. "'Well, there's King Kickabray of Dunkington, and Johnny Dewitt, and the Good Witch of the North, but Johnny Dewitt may not get here until late. He's so very busy.' "'We will receive them and give them a proper welcome,' promised the Scarecrow. "'So run along, little Dorothy, and get yourself dressed.'" End of Chapter 22 Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Road to Oz by L. Frank Baum, or Frank L. Baum. I keep mixing that up. Hey, do you want to help keep things straight? Why don't you go to Facebook or, I don't know, Instagram. Check out PGTTCM and Black Clock Audio Tales. You can also, also, also help out the show by rate, reviewing, and subscribing wherever you rate, review, and subscribe. Tell your friends about it. Be like, hey, there's this annoying guy that has a podcast where there's books read. He doesn't read them. He gets people who can actually uh, read do it. So, yeah, check that out. And, again, I hope you're all doing well. Support the show. That gives you something to listen to. Chapter 23. The Grand Banquet. I wish I could tell you how fine the company was that assembled that evening at Ozma's Royal Banquet. A long table was spread in the center of the great dining hall of the palace, and the splendor of the decorations and the blaze of lights and jewels was acknowledged to be the most magnificent sight that any of the guests had ever seen. The jolliest person present, as well as the most important, was, of course, old Santa Claus, so he was given the seat of honor at one end of the table, while at the other end sat Princess Ozma the hostess. John Doe, Queen Zix, King Bud, the Queen of Ev, and her son Evardo, and the Queen of Maryland had golden thrones to sit in, while the others were supplied with beautiful chairs. At the upper end of the banquet room was a separate table provided for the animals. Toto sat at one end of this table with a bib tied around his neck and a silver platter to eat from. At the other end was placed a small stand with a low rail around the edge of it for Bellina and her chicks. The rail kept the ten little Dorothys from falling off the stand, while the yellow hen could easily reach over and take her food from any tray upon the table. At the other places sat the hungry tiger, the cowardly lion, the sawhorse, the rubber bear, the fox king, and the donkey king. They made quite a company of animals. At the lower end of the great room was another table, at which sat the Rills and Canucks, who had come with Santa Claus, 
the wooden soldiers who had come with the Queen of Maryland, and the highlanders and lowlanders who had come with John Doe. Here were also seated the officers of the royal palace and of Ozma's army. The splendid costumes of those at the three tables made a gorgeous and glittering display that no one present was ever likely to forget. Perhaps there has never been in any part of the world at any time another assemblage of such wonderful people as that which gathered this evening to honor the birthday of the ruler of Oz. When all members of the company were in their places, an orchestra of five hundred pieces, in a balcony overlooking the banquet room, began to play sweet and delightful music. Then a door draped with royal green opened, and in came the fair and girlish Princess Ozma, who now greeted her guests in person for the first time. As she stood by her throne at the head of the banquet table, every eye was turned eagerly upon the lovely princess, who was as dignified as she was bewitching, and who smiled upon all her old and new friends in a way that touched their hearts and brought an answering smile to every face. Each guest had been served with a crystal goblet filled with lacasa, which is a sort of nectar famous in Oz, and nicer to drink than soda water or lemonade. Santa now made a pretty speech in verse, congratulating Ozma on having a birthday, and asking everyone present to drink to the health and happiness of their dearly beloved hostess. This was done with great enthusiasm by those who were made so they could drink at all, and those who could not drink politely touched the rims of their goblets to their lips. All seated themselves at the tables, and the servants of the princess began serving the feast. I'm quite sure that only in Fairyland could such a delicious repast be prepared. The dishes were of precious metals set with brilliant jewels, and the good things to eat which were placed upon them were countless in number and of exquisite flavor. Several present, such as the Candy Man, the Rubber Bear, Tick-Tock, and the Scarecrow, were not made so they could eat, and the Queen of Maryland contented herself with a small dish of sawdust, but these enjoyed the pomp and glitter of the gorgeous scene as much as did those who feasted. The Wogglebug read his Ode to Ozma, which was written in very good rhythm and was well received by the company. The wizard added to the entertainment by making a big pie appear before Dorothy, and when the little girl cut the pie, the nine tiny piglets leaped out of it and danced around the table while the orchestra played a merry tune. This amused the company very much, but they were even more pleased when Polychrome, whose hunger had been easily satisfied, rose from the table and performed her graceful and bewildering rainbow dance for them. When it was ended, the people clapped their hands and the animals clapped their paws, while Billina cackled and the Donkey King brayed approval. Johnny Dewitt was present, and of course he proved he could do wonders in the way of eating, as well as in everything else that he undertook to do. The Tin Woodman sang a love song, everyone joining in the chorus, and the wooden soldiers from Maryland gave an exhibition of a lightning drill with their wooden muskets. The Rills and Canucks danced the fairy circle, 
and the rubber bear bounced himself all around the room. There was laughter and merriment on every side, and everybody was having a royal good time. Button Bright was so excited and interested that he paid little attention to his fine dinner and a great deal of attention to his queer companions, and perhaps he was wise to do this because he could eat at any other time. The feasting and merrymaking continued until late in the evening when they separated to meet again the next morning and take part in the birthday celebration to which this royal banquet was merely the introduction. End of chapter 23 Chapter 24 The Birthday Celebration A clear, perfect day with a gentle breeze and a sunny sky greeted Princess Ozma as she wakened next morning, the anniversary of her birth. While it was yet early, all the city was astir, and crowds of people came from all parts of the land of Oz to witness the festivities in honor of their girl ruler's birthday. The noted visitors from foreign countries who had all been transported to the Emerald City by means of the magic belt were as much a show to the Ozites as were their own familiar celebrities and the streets leading from the royal palace to the jewel gates were thronged with men women and children to see the procession as it passed out to the green fields where the ceremonies were to take place and what a great procession it was first came a thousand young girls the prettiest in the land dressed in white muslin with green sashes and hair ribbons bearing green baskets of red roses as they walked They scattered these flowers upon the marble pavements so that the way was carpeted thick with roses for the procession to walk upon. Then came the rulers of the four kingdoms of Oz, the emperor of the Winkies, the monarch of the Munchkins, the king of the Quadlings, and the sovereign of the Gillikins, each wearing a long chain of emeralds around his neck to show that he was a vassal of the ruler of the Emerald City. Next marched the Emerald City Cornet Band, clothed in green and gold uniforms and playing the Ozma Two-Step. The Royal Army of Oz followed, consisting of twenty-seven officers, from the Captain General down to the lieutenants. There were no privates in Ozma's army, because soldiers were not needed to fight battles, but only to look important, and an officer always looks more imposing than a private. While the people cheered and waved their hats and handkerchiefs, there came walking the royal Princess Ozma, looking so pretty and sweet that it is no wonder her people love her so dearly. She had decided she would not ride in her chariot that day, as she preferred to walk in the procession with her favorite subjects and her guests. Just in front of her trotted the living blue bear rug owned by old Dinah, which wobbled clumsily on its four feet because there was nothing but the skin to support them, with a stuffed head at one end and a stubby tail at the other. But whenever Ozma paused in her walk, the bear rug would flop down flat upon the ground for the princess to stand upon until she resumed her progress. Following the princess stalked her two enormous beasts, the cowardly lion and the hungry tiger. And even if the army had not been there, these two would have been powerful enough to guard their mistress from any harm. Next marched the invited guests, 
who were loudly cheered by the people of Oz along the road, and were therefore obliged to bow to right and left almost every step of the way. First was Santa Claus, who, because he was fat and not used to walking, rode the wonderful sawhorse. The merry old gentleman had a basket of small toys with him, and he tossed the toys one by one to the children as he passed by. His rills and canucks marched close behind him. Queen Zix of Zix came after, then John Doe and the cherub, with the rubber bear named Para Bruin strutting between them on its hind legs, then the Queen of Maryland, escorted by her wooden soldiers, then King Bud of Noland and his sister, the Princess Fluff, then the Queen of Ev and her ten royal children, then the braided man and the candy man side by side, then King Dox of Foxville and King Kickabray of Dunkington, who by this time had become good friends, and finally Johnny Dewitt in his leather apron smoking his long pipe. These wonderful personages were not more heartily cheered by the people than were those who followed after them in the procession. Dorothy was a general favorite, and she walked arm in arm with the scarecrow, who was beloved by all. Then came Polychrome and Button Bright, and the people loved the rainbow's pretty daughter and the beautiful blue-eyed boy as soon as they saw them. The shaggy man in his shaggy new suit attracted much attention because he was such a novelty. With regular steps tramped the machine man Tick-Tock, and there was more cheering when the Wizard of Oz followed in the procession. The Wogglebug and Jack Pumpkinhead were next, and behind them Glinda the Sorceress and the Good Witch of the North. Finally came Billina with her brood of chickens, to whom she clucked anxiously to keep them together and to hasten them along so they would not delay the procession. Another band followed, this time the tin band of the Emperor of the Winkies, playing a beautiful march called There's No Plate Like Tin. Then came the servants of the royal palace in a long line, and behind them all the people joined the procession and marched away through the emerald gates and out upon the broad green. Here had been erected a splendid pavilion, with a grandstand big enough to seat all the royal party and those who had taken part in the procession. Over the pavilion, which was of green silk and cloth of gold, countless banners waved in the breeze. Just in front of this, and connected with it by a runway, had been built a broad platform, so that all the spectators could see plainly the entertainment provided for them. The wizard now became master of ceremonies, as Ozma had placed the conduct of the performance in his hands. After the people had all congregated about the platform, and the royal party and the visitors were seated in the grandstand, the wizard skillfully performed some feats of juggling glass balls and lighted candles. He tossed a dozen or so of them high in the air, and caught them one by one as they came down without missing any. Then he introduced a scarecrow, who did a sword-swallowing act that aroused much interest. After this, the tin woodman gave an exhibition of swinging the axe, which he made to whirl around him so rapidly that the eye could scarcely follow the motion of the gleaming blade. 
Glinda the Sorceress then stepped upon the platform, and by her magic made a big tree grow in the middle of the space, made blossoms appear upon the tree, and made the blossoms become delicious fruit called tamornas. And so great was the quantity of fruit produced, that when the servants climbed the tree and tossed it down to the crowd, there was enough to satisfy every person present. Para Bruin, the rubber bear, climbed to a limb of the big tree, rolled himself into a ball, and dropped to the platform, whence he bounded up again to the limb. He repeated this bouncing act several times to the great delight of all the children present. After he had finished and bowed and returned to his seat, Glinda waved her wand and the tree disappeared, but its fruit still remained to be eaten. The Good Witch of the North amused the people by transforming ten stones into ten birds, the ten birds into ten lambs, and the ten lambs into ten little girls, who gave a pretty dance, and were then transformed into ten stones again, just as they were in the beginning. Johnny Dewitt next came to the platform with his tool chest, and in a few minutes built a great flying machine, then put his chest in the machine, and the whole thing flew away together, Johnny and all, after he had bid goodbye to those present and thanked the princess for her hospitality. The wizard then announced the last act of all, which was considered really wonderful. He had invented a machine to blow huge soap bubbles as big as balloons, and this machine was hidden under the platform so that only the rim of the big clay pipe to produce the bubbles showed above the flooring. The tank of soap suds and the air pumps to inflate the bubbles were out of sight beneath, so that when the bubbles began to grow upon the floor of the platform, it really seemed like magic to the people of Oz. who knew nothing about even the common soap bubbles that our children blow from a penny clay pipe and a basin of soap and water. The wizard had invented another thing. Usually soap bubbles are frail and burst easily, lasting only a few moments as they float in the air. But the wizard added a sort of glue to his soap suds, which made his bubbles tough, and as the glue dried rapidly when exposed to the air, The wizard's bubbles were strong enough to float for hours without breaking. He began by blowing, by means of his machinery and air pumps, several large bubbles, which he allowed to float upward into the sky, where the sunshine fell upon them and gave them iridescent hues that were most beautiful. This aroused much wonder and delight, because it was a new amusement to every one present, except perhaps Dorothy and Button Bright. and even they had never seen such big, strong bubbles before. The wizard then blew a bunch of small bubbles, and afterward blew a big bubble around them, so they were left in the center of it. Then he allowed the whole mass of pretty globes to float into the air and disappear in the far distant sky. This is really fine, declared Santa Claus, who loved toys and pretty things. I think, Mr. Wizard, I shall have you blow a bubble around me, then I can float away home and see the country spread out beneath me as I travel. There isn't a spot on earth that I haven't visited, but I usually go in the night time, riding behind my swift reindeer. Here's a good chance to observe the country by daylight, while I am riding slowly and at my ease. 
Do you think you will be able to guide the bubble? asked the wizard. Oh, yes, I know enough magic to do that, replied Santa Claus. You'll blow the bubble with me inside of it, and I'll be sure to get home in safety. Please send me home in a bubble, too, begged the Queen of Maryland. Very well, madam, you shall try the journey first, politely answered old Santa. The pretty wax doll bade goodbye to the Princess Ozma and the others, and stood on the platform while the wizard blew a big soap bubble around her. When completed, he allowed the bubble to float slowly upward, and there could be seen the little Queen of Maryland standing in the middle of it and blowing kisses from her fingers to those below. The bubble took a southerly direction, quickly floating out of sight. That's a very nice way to travel. Said Princess Fluff. I'd like to go home in a bubble, too. So the wizard blew a big bubble around Princess Fluff, and another around King Bud, her brother, and a third one around Queen Zix. And soon these three bubbles had mounted into the sky and were floating off in a group in the direction of the kingdom of Noland. The success of these ventures induced the other guests from foreign lands to undertake bubble journeys also. So the wizard put them one by one inside his bubbles, and Santa Claus directed the way they should go because he knew exactly where everybody lived. Finally, Button Bright said, I want to go home too. Why, so you shall, cried Santa, for I'm sure your father and mother will be glad to see you again. Mr. Wizard, please blow a big fine bubble for Button Bright to ride in, and I'll agree to send him home to his family as safe as safe can be. I'm sorry, said Dorothy with a sigh, for she was fond of her little comrade, but perhaps it's best for Button Bright to get home, cause his folks must be worrying just dreadful. She kissed the boy, and Ozma kissed him too. And all the others waved their hands and said goodbye and wished him a pleasant journey. Are you glad to leave us, dear? asked Dorothy a little wistfully. Don't know, said Button Bright. He sat down, cross legged on the platform, with his sailor hat tipped back on his head, and the wizard blew a beautiful bubble all around him. A minute later, it had mounted into the sky, sailing toward the west, and the last they saw of Button Bright. He was still sitting in the middle of the shining globe and waving his sailor hat at those below. Will you ride in a bubble, or shall I send you and Toto home by means of the magic belt? the princess asked Dorothy. Guess I'll use the belt, replied the little girl. I'm sort of afraid of those bubbles. Arrah! said Toto approvingly. He loved to bark at the bubbles as they sailed away, but he didn't care to ride in one. Santa Claus decided to go next. He thanked Ozma for her hospitality and wished her many happy returns of the day. Then the wizard blew a bubble around his chubby little body and smaller bubbles around each of his rills and canucks. As the kind and generous friend of children mounted into the air, the people all cheered at the top of their voices, for they loved Santa Claus dearly. And the little man heard them through the walls of his bubble and waved his hands in return as he smiled down upon them. The band played bravely while everyone watched the bubble until it was completely out of sight. How about you, Polly? Dorothy asked her friend. Are you afraid of bubbles too? 
No, answered Polychrome, smiling, but Santa Claus promised to speak to my father as he passed through the sky, so perhaps I shall get home an easier way. Indeed, the little maid had scarcely made this speech when a sudden radiance filled the air, and while the people looked on in wonder, the end of a gorgeous rainbow slowly settled down upon the platform. With a glad cry, the rainbow's daughter sprang from her seat and danced along the curve of the bow, mounting gradually upward, while the folds of her gauzy gown whirled and floated around her like a cloud and blended with the colors of the rainbow itself. Goodbye, Ozma, goodbye, Dorothy, cried a voice they knew belonged to Polychrome, but now the little maiden's form had melted wholly into the rainbow, and their eyes could no longer see her. Suddenly the end of the rainbow lifted, and its colors slowly faded like mist before a breeze. Dorothy sighed deeply and turned to Ozma. I'm sorry to lose Polly, she said, but I guess she's better off with her father, cause even the land of Oz couldn't be like home to a cloud fairy. No, indeed, replied the princess, but it has been delightful for us to know Polychrome for a little while, and who knows, perhaps we may meet the rainbow's daughter again some day. The entertainment now being ended, all left the pavilion and formed their gay procession back to the Emerald City again. Of Dorothy's recent traveling companions, only Toto and the Shaggy Man remained, and Ozma had decided to allow the latter to live in Oz for a time at least. If he proved honest and true, she promised to let him live there always, and the Shaggy Man was anxious to earn this reward. They had a nice quiet dinner together and passed a pleasant evening with the Scarecrow, the Tin Woodman, Tick-Tock, and the Yellow Hen for company. When Dorothy bade them good night, she kissed them all goodbye at the same time, for Ozma had agreed that while Dorothy slept, she and Toto should be transported by means of the magic belt to her own little bed in the Kansas farmhouse and the little girl laughed as she thought how astonished Uncle Henry and Aunt Em would be when she came down to breakfast with them next morning. Quite content to have had so pleasant an adventure, and a little tired by all the day's busy scenes, Dorothy clasped Toto in her arms and lay down upon the pretty white bed in her room in Ozma's royal palace. Presently she was sound asleep. End of chapter 24 End of The Road to Oz by L. Frank Baum Recording by Phil Chenevere, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, May 2012